Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. That's, yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm, walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six oh, days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to oh, you now. Mean, I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shawnee man? <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Show. It's Kieran Murphy here sitting in for Owen McDevitt. Ken Early is here with me. Say hello, Ken. Kieran, how are you doing? Good to see you. Well, I'm, I'm a little shocked actually, Ken. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm reeling from an attack on our beloved Irish uh, managerial team, both of them. Uh, the man behind this vicious assault, I don't know if you've seen this. Yeah. Uh, Gus Poyet. Oh, yeah. uh, now, I don't know if you saw these quotes from him after their 1-0 defeat to Liverpool at the weekend, but he has not been an admirer of the football that has preceded his time uh, in charge of Sunderland. No. Uh, he was asked after the game if he was surprised at how Sunderland stood off Liverpool since, you know, what are Sunderland all about, Ken, if not about getting in the faces of their opponents? Uh, he says, no. That was the characteristic of one Sunderland, the one with Kevin Phillips and Niall Quinn. The rest of the teams of Sunderland did not have any characteristics. They were rubbish. They were playing for relegation and suffering. Sunderland have been in the top ten once in 15 years. The rest have been, ba- have been full of bad decisions and suffering. Yeah. Two of Sunderland's managers in the last 15 years. Martin uh, O'Neill. And Roy Keane. Yeah. Now, I mean, if Gus hadn't mentioned Big Quinner in the middle of all that, I'd be accusing him of sickening anti-Irish bias. Why is he hitting on Monquino like this, Ken? Why is he do, Why is he sticking it to us like this? Well, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he gets a little bit back from Martin O'Neill over this because, um, I mean, I think back to Paolo Di Canio. Mm. Now, in fairness, what Paolo Di Canio did was, was a little bit more specific. He was succeeding Martin O'Neill at Sunderland and the thing that he did O'Neill did a not of let weeks, him off, though. Well, well, Di Canio came out a couple of weeks after arriving there uh, saying that these players are not fit uh, I don't know what the last guy was doing, but uh, it was a joke. Um, you know, no one, no one here's. I don't know what kind of training setup was here. The players, the, the diet is terrible. The fitness levels are are appalling, and Martin O'Neill did not like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he was saying, well, you know, it is. It's one of those things that you often get from, you know, your more inexperienced managers come in and blame the last guy, put it all the blame on the last guy. But you know, I don't think people are fooled. But then continue to take. Pops at Decanio all the all way the throughout Decanio's yeah, yeah. short, short time as the manager of Sunderland. He actually, he couldn't help himself, even in the middle of Ireland press conferences, constantly mentioning and slagging off Paulo Decanio. It was, 
actually got a little bit strange, you know. Mm. To, well, I think I'm just forget it. Like, nobody cares about Paolo Canio. No, no, absolutely nobody takes anything he says about anything seriously. Yeah. So don't worry about it. Um, but in this instance, yeah, I suppose he has. Um, he has pretty much. Is that very small? Mi- is that very small-minded of me? It is. To, medi- to immediately think, hold on a minute here. What I mean, about he's having a pop? What, what about the Irish? Yeah. You know, why think, is he having a pop of the Irish here? I think that is a little bit. I uh, mean, Jonathan Wilson defensive. has. Yeah, Jonathan Wilson has told us quite a bit over the years, and we'll be speaking to Jonathan Wilson about uh, Chelsea a little later on. But he is uh, perhaps the foremost uh, Sunderland celebrity Sunderland fan out there. Well, I mean, what about Martin O'Neill himself? Well, yeah, maybe. Um, but he has said that you know it's part of the. That's what Sunderland are. Uh, we're a yo-yo club. Uh, we go up. So we're good sometimes, but mostly most of the time we're awful. And yeah. uh, he kind of seems he seemed happy enough with that. Really, yeah. He doesn't. See, he's happy enough with Sunderland's place in the world. I don't really know though what Gus Boy thinks he's doing here because okay, it's clear that what he wants to do is get the owner to spend a bunch more money. You know, this is this is the time of year when that kind of thing mm. happens, and hopefully. You know, Ellis Short will spend money and buy a player who can save Gus Poyet's um, job and he'll keep earning his money. Uh, that is presumably the idea. But what he says is just a little bit too strong, I think. I mean, he's saying, um, uh, you know, OK, so so they've lost 1-0 to Liverpool. It actually wasn't a bad performance by Sunderland, really. First half was bad. Second half was a good bit better. Um, narrow enough results. Uh, against a team who themselves had spent plenty of money, you know, not that Liverpool spending had done them much good until recently. You know, they're okay. They're putting together a decent run, but they managed to uh, uh, Sunderland, Sunderland lose the game narrowly. And what Poyet does is really trash the players. He says, "Look, we gave away forty-five minutes. After that, we tried, but I can't ask for any more with the personnel we've got." Um, well, see, that's the kind of thing you say at the start of January. Not here, Ellis. You've been running the rule over a club that's been. Terrible, and yeah. you know, you, you the chairman doesn't get away unscathed from saying that the club's been rubbish for the last fifteen years when yeah. he's owned it for at least well, eight he's, of those years. He's owned it since what two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Mm. So yeah, so half that time, uh, more or less, uh, he's been in charge. But you know, um, to say we, we can't do any better with these players is not the kind of thing which the players certainly like. I mean, the only. This is a team that's won once um, since uh, once in the last ten, once in the last eleven. Three times at home in the entirety of 2014, <laughs> having won yeah. four times at home the year in the entire calendar year the year before, which yeah. is it's not amazing, really. Is it seven wins since in the last 24 months uh, in front of your own fans? That's not great. No, but you know, then again, you know, they're not in the relegation zone at the moment. They have just played uh, Manchester City and Liverpool in succession, so. You know, it's not uh, it's not as bad as it could be. Um, I think it might be a little bit counterproductive from him. Uh, we we sorted it out at halftime. Okay, so he claims credit mm. for you know I I sorted it out. But the disappointing thing was I expected my team to be able to work things out for themselves. But there was confusion about Liverpool's system. So um, I did my best. I sorted it all out. With but most of my thick, useless football uh, players basically yeah, as well. He's my players are not very intelligent. Uh, and they aren't really very good. We need better players. Hmm. That's the long and the short of it. And well, I'm sure quite a lot of the players then sort of look at that and think, well, you know, 
Yeah. There's confusion about the rule system. You know, how can you give away? It's great, great of you to sort it out at half time, goes Poyet. But at the same time, it's not as though Liverpool did anything really particularly different in that match than what they've been doing over the last ten matches. Also, you're not in an isolation booth uh, on the sideline. There, you can actually change. Things it is possible to to, to do things. But uh, maybe he was sitting there thinking the players would work things out. So it just seemed a little bit maybe too strong from goes yeah. Well, listen, if he thinks he's going to get a, you know a. Uh, an easy time that he probably shouldn't uh, you know on this show he probably shouldn't have slagged off our beloved Irish manager no, that's, that's neither here nor there it's uh, a big day in Zurich today but uh, we'll talk about that in Ken Early's report on sport yeah it's Ballon d'Or day FIFA Ballon d'Or and we would be talking about the Ballon d'Or uh, at you know any other year but I suppose it has rather been overshadowed in these parts by uh, Stephanie Roach as we were talking as uh, we will talk about in the in our other show as well today but um, yeah I mean Messi uh, has had a rather strange week will he will he uh, top it off by being crowned world's greatest footballer yeah I'm, I was watching Messi last night and it was absolutely brilliant um, the uh, it's honestly I've, I can't remember the last time I enjoyed watching him play so much um Playing for Barcelona at home against Atletico Madrid, um, and this is a new Lionel Messi, and I don't mean a new Lionel Messi in terms of uh, this kind of uh, you know walking around doesn't really break into a, a trot, never mind a run mm. most of the time. Just he's just so super efficient about everything he does. I mean, a, a raging, a force of evil on the field. Uh, <laughs> he uh, created a goal for Luis Suarez with a handball. Uh, I mean, a, a crazy handball. Um, bouncing the ball up, sort of off his upper arm, lobbing it over the, the guy in front of him, running through, great little run through, and then plays in Suarez, who, who scores to make it 2-0. Uh, that's great. Uh, but gave away a penalty. First time he's ever given away a penalty in his career. Um, he then studs the goalkeeper in the chest in the manner made famous by Nigel de Jong in the <laughs> World Cup final. Uh, got booked for that. And, you know, the, the Atletico Madrid players are saying, oh, you know, what do you think you're doing? And Messi's just like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't care. Coming out of a You want some? Strut, strutting around saying, yeah. I, you know, just, I, don't, I don't care. You know, he got what he deserved. You know, um, and then, uh, okay, eventually scored the winner. Oh, well, not the winner. It was a 3-1, a sort of decorative. The goal that he'd been threatening to score all night um, uh, capped off with himself, Suarez and Neymar all running and what was really self-consciously the three of them all running together going, get your photographs now. Look, it's all working. Mm. Our chemistry is good. Our chemistry is great. You know, uh, the three of us together. But, you know, it seems as though maybe um, Suarez, Suarez, who was who, who was the usual kind of, I mean, he managed to score a goal, which was better than he has been lately. But, you know, he got booked uh, for... Uh, something he said to the referee you know the, the referee we just whipped around and booked him immediately what are you what are you doing I mean I don't know if he was able to get away with that a little bit more in English mm. football um, but you know it seems but, uh, don't referees know the curse words in most of the major languages yeah I, I guess but you know the, there's no I always kind of wondered about that I mean if you're gonna you know if if dissent is an actual thing that you can hand out a booking for it probably you know, it's it's your responsibility, really, isn't to it? Know that, yeah, but uh, you know, because otherwise you're holding the guys who are from your own country to a different standard. To it the... doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be vulgar abuse, though, to be dissent. I mean, mm. it could be. You know, players have different strategies for it. You know, I mean, I remember. I always remember John Giles talking about this, saying, "Whatever you're doing, you know, when you're 
going up to a referee and telling him that you know you know where he live he lives and you know where his mm. kids go to school, go to school. You never make any uh, gestures. Never brandish your arms or, or wave mm. your arms around because everybody in the stadium can see that. So just go up and make sure you're make sure you're not physically demonstrative in any way, and you can say anything to that referee. Right? <laughs> the main thing he's concerned about is appearances. Yeah, uh, you know, and if if you're obviously remonstrating with him, then it's a direct challenge to his authority for the forty thousand people. Mm. You're going to get booked. But if you're, you know, maybe hands behind your back, Javier Mascherano is good at this. He's somebody who uh, I don't like the hands behind the back though. Well, that's maybe that's that, maybe it's a bit too it's a bit yeah. too much. It's like oh, yeah. I've got to hold my hands behind my back because otherwise I might. Uh, you know, Clock take a swing at you. Yeah. But uh, Mascherano, if you see him ever talking to the referee, always has this kind of mad smile, mm. as though he thinks if you're smiling when you say these awful things, um, it somehow makes the referee less like. I, I respect Mascherano. He may, he may I, be right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not too sure about that though. I, I, I think if you put the hands behind the back, it does. It, it looks threatening in a, in a totally different kind of way. Just hang him limp, limply by, by your side. That's the kind of... That's really Matarazzi. Cross your, cross Ma- your chest. Matarazzi's a guy who would do that. Hands behind the back, but like face yeah. right <laughs> in the referee's face and like eyes popping out. Yeah. Um, like Suarez, then we got book. Messi uh, getting booked as well. Uh, but playing really well. Playing with like a real kind of aggressive edge. So maybe this is the influence that Luis Suarez is having on him. Uh, no more Mr. Nice Guy <laughs> <laughs> from... Lionel Messi, who it looks as though is, you know, Ronaldo is the six to one on favorite to win this war tonight. I think he is going to win. I mean, I'd be really surprised um, if it turned out to be Messi because Ronaldo has had a better season. Now it could also be Manuel Neuer. There's a photograph of Manuel Neuer uh, in a private jet uh, with Arjen Robben on his way to Zurich from Qatar, where Bayern Munich are training, and um, you know, even Karl-Heinz Rummenigge. Uh, the uh, Bayern chief executive is saying, look, or Bayern uh, president rather, is saying uh, this isn't going to happen. Uh, they, they, the experts expect it to be Cristiano Ronaldo, and to be honest, that's what I also fear. Even though winning the World Cup should be the deciding factor in a World Cup year, it's the most important event. The decision is made from Australia to Africa and America, and it's a disadvantage for Manuel that Messi and Ronaldo are two world brands. I, I'm not quite sure what Rumenig's point there is in terms of. Australia, Africa, and America—they um, all send teams to the World Cup as well. I mean, these various mm. regions of the world. Everyone's aware of the World Cup. That's also a world brand. Um, I don't know if he's suggesting that people in Australia, Africa, and America are—I was going to suggest not as well informed. Yeah, I was going to suggest that, but I mean, frankly, Messi and Ronaldo are better individual players who have had, in my opinion, more spectacular seasons than Manuel Noir. Even if you could say that neither of neither Messi nor Ronaldo has had their best every season mm. or best every year this year, I you know, Manuel Noir is just not as good as these guys. Yeah. He's a very good goalkeeper, but I don't it's really not think the, yeah, I don't think you can uh, you can uh, draw much of a conspiracy theory from all this. The fact of the matter is they're just way better than they're just better. Anyway. Yeah. No. <laughs> just anyone else just I mean it's like it's like Germany's own Film. Germany made a film about their World Cup win, you know. They and it was, uh, and it starts off with a quote, which I I'm pretty sure is uh, misattributed to Steven Gerrard. I'm not sure that he even really said this, but uh, it was something like, you know, Portugal have has Ronaldo, Argentina has Messi, but Germany has a team. You know, mm. the star is the team. Well, 
there you go then. That's your own. Unfortunately, the Ballador is 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 the thing awarded to star. I mean, there is a question of whether it should go to, you know, whether it should go, whether it should always go. I mean, because it is. We ha- it is a strange situation. I mean, Ronaldo and Messi, every year since 2008, it's been one of these mm. two. This has never happened before. There's never been a comparable um, period. Yeah, it was Frank Ribery, wasn't it? The the third wheel at the Ballon d'Or last year. Yeah, he was I quite mean, bitter and about the, it. And yeah, and the Germans were quite annoyed about this, the fact that Bayern had won the treble. I don't think yet... he was even the best player in the Bayern team. I don't yeah. think Robin was better than him. But, you know, yeah. again, it's a, maybe, maybe it's a similar problem Ribery had in terms of a lot of good players in that Bayern team. You know, if you're if you're going to vote for a Barcelona player, it's clear who you're going to vote for. Yeah. Um, but if you're going to vote for... I uh, suppose Germany are just going to have to console themselves with winning the World Cup or winning the treble, including the Champions League. I mean, yeah. the, the, if the star is the team, then the team are just going to have to console themselves with all of the medals they're going to... They got careers. to win the World Cup at the Maracanã and, you know... Have a, have a Brazil have a big, 7-1, so... Have a big uh, thing at the Brandenburg Gate and... You know, millions of people in the streets, and the moment that everyone will remember. So, if Ronaldo wins tonight, you know that's probably fair everyone's enough. come. Everyone's still pretty happy. Speaking of the seven-one, actually, there was a thing. Um, I don't know if you saw Thomas Muller. Um, it was uh, Dante, the Brazilian defender, talking about Muller. Uh, oh yeah, he, he was going to punch Thomas Muller if he stopped slag- if he didn't stop slagging him off about the seven-one. Thomas Muller not showing a lot of sensitivity there. I mean. I mean, seriously, Thomas Muller, he, he was there. He scored the first goal. He scored two goals in the game, I think. Uh, he saw what happened in that stadium. He saw what happened to the Brazilian players. He saw their tears. Um, and apparently hasn't stopped taunting Dante about it since. The Germans joked about it, said Dante, especially just after the game, up to the moment when I said it was time to stop. The 7-1 was something more serious than people realized, said Dante. <laughs> we can joke about anything, but not about this. Not all the Germans were like this, but Thomas Muller is the big joker. I said to him, if you don't stop, I will hit you in every training session. It doesn't make me laugh. And when someone doesn't laugh, it means they are annoyed. <laughs> Says Dante. So, Sorry, was Muller slagging him off during the 7-1? Muller, no. Uh, pretty much as soon as the game finished, and oh. every, you know, every day that he's seen him since then, ah, if it isn't my old, <laughs> my old, my old bellow horizont. But I don't know what he does. He's probably come up with a few a few ways yeah. of you know putting it. It's probably not great. Um, and of course, it's cost Dante his international career. I mean, he was there <laughs> on the field. In fairness, this probably does seem a little insensitive. Well, listen, this is color. this is so grim. Like he says, I felt people have sort of pushed me to one side since then in restaurants in the street. I only think when you're sad and have endured this sort of upset, you need some affection from people who are close to you to recover your self-esteem. As for the national team, I know Brazil has a culture that players over 30 are not usually picked. But if I am called up, I would play with great pleasure. He won't be called up. Uh, that's it for him. Uh, he won't be coming back. It's a bit like Paddy Kenny. Paddy Kenny against Cyprus. Hmm. We probably would have called him up if he hadn't retired or he retired around then. But um, The thing that I, I forgot to mention earlier, just when we were talking about... Uh, just getting back to this Ballon d'Or mm. thing, uh, Messi uh, last night. I mean, he's on his way to Zurich. I say it's probably just going to wear an, an ordinary kind of tuxedo tonight. Um, if you remember last night, it was this sort of um, uh, maroon mohair. Yeah, uh, yeah, job. yeah. A lot of people were, a lot of people were commenting on commenting positively about that suit. I wasn't so sure 
It wasn't good. No. It really wasn't good. No, he was, not he was a trying good too hard. I think he'll just go, he'll just keep it simple tonight because he's going to be probably in second place. But he did give a, after he'd uh, given this snarling uh, performance out there in the field, hacking down opponents and, and studying them and handling the ball and all this kind of stuff, mm. he then gave an interview, uh, which is which itself was a kind of bad boy interview. Because the thing is that he's supposedly been this bad boy all week and he's been uh, destabilizing the club trying to get the manager thrown out, threatening the president. <laughs> you know. Mm. <clears throat> uh, gave an interview after game. It hurts because it comes from people who supposedly love Barcelona. It's people who want to hurt this club. And this time it didn't come from Madrid like the other times. It's come from here. This is, you know, they're talking about him leaving or wanting, agitating for a move. I've heard lots of things being said about me before and now. They make it look like I'm the one who's in charge here when actually I'm just another player. Don't throw shit at us from outside because that will only do us harm. Then he just kind of walked off. So everyone is like, whew. Um, well, uh, he sounds committed, though. You know, he's, mm. uh, he's uh, at least he's he's playing well. That's the just main thing. Just pity about the potty mouth. Well, look, you know, he's, it's, it's strength of feeling. He just spilled out of his mouth. What can you mm. say? Um, just uh, a couple of other things. We will talk about the match was, against yeah, Southampton. Southampton, yeah. Um, um, and you know the it was actually commented on during the Sky Sports commentary as well the whole Ronald Koeman Lewis Van Hal sort of the, the antipathy there wasn't mentioned at all in the run to this game I, uh, but Ronald Koeman did seem to take quite a degree of delight in that result uh, yesterday whether that was just the excellent performance of his team or whether there was something perhaps a little yeah. more there behind all that well I mean it's a big Huge result. I mean, the first time Southampton have won there in 27 years. First time, obviously, ever in the, in the Premier League. Um, so an amazing result and a huge result for their season. I mean, it actually gives them a chance of... It means they still have a chance of the Champions League, which is, you know, would be the one of the greatest achievements, I think, of any team in the in the Premier League ever if they were to uh, manage it. Uh, but Koeman, it wasn't as though he was, he was letting the moment pass, just sort of... Yeah, you know, credit to the players. Uh, he said, you analyze your opponents. See, this is what a great manager does, you know. You analyze your You know they have difficulties building up with three centre-backs. You know, so he doesn't need to say too much more. But he's just saying, yeah, you know, three. I know Louis van Hal's come in here and thinks he's going to play three at the back and so on. But it's pretty obvious they've got a few problems. So it was a simple enough matter to just point that out to my players and... Uh, and let them uh, let them do their stuff. So they did that, uh, apparently, and <laughs> and uh, yeah, ended up ended up with the win. Now you can say we fight for European place, uh, says Kuman. The top five or six will fight until the last game. Criticised uh, Dusan Tadic for getting booked for taking his shirt off. He actually think. looked really displeased because he'd run down to the sideline to celebrate, and then his face dropped immediately. So I was just sort of. Uh, Trying to figure out at, the, at what exact moment did he look that displeased? So obviously, it was when he whipped off his jersey. Yeah, yeah. Um, Do send out his little homage to Cristiano. Um, you know, I can, you did I can see the crack him. with with him as well, not having his jersey on when he was about to be brought on. No shin pads on. Basically, he was he was told, "Right, you're coming on," and then ten minutes later, oh, oh, he's yeah, able to come on. Better get ready. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous when you actually don't have your jersey on. Yeah, well, I mean, he, whatever about the shin pads. <laughs> I mean, if you've forgotten your jersey, that's pretty, pretty idiotic. He timed it well, but Everton ever managed to kind of—they've—they they may be signings. Uh, you know, we were we were talking about them last season that they, 
last season, last week, that they were having a few issues. Maybe stopping the rod, a draw against Manchester City. Uh, City now buying Wilfred Boney. That deal is going to happen now in the next two days. £28 million. Um, so that seems to be uh, going through. The last thing just is uh, Saito Berahino. Uh, Saito Berahino, who, you know, was having such a great season. I don't know why he's... he's uh, he, he's sort of complaining now because people had criticised him. Apparently he turned up late for a match and was also uh, charged with drink driving. Okay, mm. So, you know, you do these things and people are probably going to... people are, You can't expect people to go, well, great job, Sider, well done. You know, he's but he's got quite chippy. He takes the opportunity of uh, scoring a goal over the weekend to say, um, uh, I'm always the one getting blamed and picked out at West Brom. I just smile at it and keep my mouth shut. Um... I just think everyone now, because I'm a target out there, is trying to bring a bad name to me. They're always trying to write something about me. I just don't understand why. I think the people who put me down, they don't know me, first of all. Right, good idea for you would be to avoid uh, drink driving incidents. Mm. You know, if you don't get charged with that kind of thing, that's one of the things. And also, you know, if you don't arrive late for the matches, then nobody will criticize you for being late and suggest that you're not committed. I mean, the two things together, charge or drink driving, late for match... It's probably enough to be going on with on the criticism front. The, the combination of the two things, people are going to be like, well, what's going on with Saito Bear? You know, um, playing at least uh, pretty well at the moment. And as long as he keeps doing that, uh, he could actually probably do whatever whatever he wants. Mm. Uh, and more or less Just don't away. complain about it. There's no need to complain. Once you do these things, you've got to, you've got to accept a certain amount of, uh, of complaints. Mm. Right, okay. Well, that's the end of Ken Early's report on Hair dryers is a metaphor for the current of hot air generated by a furious blast of temper. The hair dryer with which uh, Alex Ferguson was famously associated. He threw a hair dryer, I think, at David Beckham. Oh, he threw a hair dryer at David Beckham. Uh, in the, is that right? No, 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 no. Okay, we're joined on the line now by Jonathan Wilson, who was at Stamford Bridge to see Chelsea reassert themselves at the top with the 2 0 win over Newcastle. Jonathan, listen, thanks a million for uh, for joining us. Uh, yeah, Chelsea won 2 0. Are they uh, and have, uh, on top again now after City's draw against Everton? Are they looking good now to maintain that position? Uh, yes and no. I mean, they in the end it was quite a comfortable win, but the first 42 minutes before they took the lead. Newcastle are much a better side. I, I think the the Oscar goal. I think that was Chelsea's first shot on target, and Newcastle had had, had five by then. So, but you know, they they could easily have been behind. And I think the most worrying thing from Chelsea's point of view is they they look really vulnerable to Newcastle running at them. You know, Cabella, particularly Sissoko, uh, both caused Chelsea's back four problems, and that of course was exactly the problem against Tottenham. So for some reason, over the last sort of month or so, because I think you can probably trace this back. To the to the first game between Chelsea and Tottenham this season, which I think was December the third, when in that game, I mean, in a sense, that game is quite similar to the Newcastle game. That the first sort of, uh, I think it was nineteen minutes where Chelsea took the lead in that game. In that first nineteen minutes, Harry Kane hit the bar. Tottenham had two or three other good chances, and Cahill looked, you know, really um, terrified of Kane running at him. Cahill was left out for Zuma on on Saturday, but a, a similar issue that. Yeah, if you run at Chelsea, they, they they are vulnerable. Obviously, they still have great potency at the other end, and so the slightest mistake, they can pounce. And having pounced, they they then dominate the second half. Um, but I I I wonder whether the reason they suddenly look vulnerable is that Matic, who's doing a great job of covering across in the first part of the season, whether he's just getting a little bit a little bit jaded, a little bit weary, and whether this policy of non-rotation 
has, has come back to haunt them. I mean, I, there's 10 of the squad have played 16 or more uh, Premier League games, which is far more than, than any other team in the top half of the table. Uh, and and I, I get the impression, you know, I think it's a fair conclusion to draw, that, that Mourinho's aim was to sort of have the title wrapped up by Christmas and then be able to, to rest players in league games in the second half of the season and focus them on the Champions League. And that, even though they got the two-point lead, now that hasn't really hasn't really worked. Well, in, I mean, in which case he's failed. It is a bit of a gamble, uh, if 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 that was the rationale. I mean, you know, maybe Mourinho is thinking that the that the whole idea of um, the kind of tiredness that players complain about is maybe an overrated concept, or maybe uh, maybe his players need to show a bit of mind over matter. I mean, that might be that might be one reason why he was doing this. If he really wanted to to win the league in the first half of the season, it's pretty difficult to win a title. Um, <laughs> with half of the games still remaining. Well, it is. And yet, at the beginning of December, they were, what, eight points clear? And, and you sort of thought then, I mean, I, I thought then, that they'd win the title by, by 12, 15 points. I still think they'll probably win the title quite easily. Um, maybe not by 12, 15 points, but I still think that they're much more consistent than Manchester City. Perhaps if City bring in Boney and they, they have a more regular goal threat, that, that'll, that'll change things. Um, but, I mean, I, I think the issue... It's partly Chelsea's blip, that run of what, five away games in which they've only taken five points for the last five away matches. But also City went on that ridiculous run when they what they won nine in a row, ten nine in a row. In a row yeah. uh, and that was that I think was a was a surprise to everybody and was predicated really on, on the supreme form of Aguero, who has got injured again. So I don't think the gamble was unreasonable, but I, I don't think it's it's worked. And I, I actually wonder, I mean, there's two things, I, I guess, to, to add into that. One is that Chelsea are probably better than any other team in the Premier League, maybe even better than any other team in Europe, at resting with the ball, to use Mourinho's phrase. That They're very good at going 2-0 up in a game and then stifling it, just killing it. And, I mean, yeah, the, the whole game at home, for instance, is a classic example of that. They're two up, and they didn't expend any 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 energy in the last sort of half hour of that game. So maybe it's it's not quite as grueling. Uh, you know, games aren't quite as quite as grueling for Chelsea as they are for other sides. Uh, but I also wonder whether the example of Atletico last season has has sort of made managers wonder. You yeah, maybe maybe rotation isn't the the be all end all. Maybe that isn't quite as essential as we thought it was. That Atletico basically got through the season, you know, won the Spanish league, got to the Champions League final without. Rotating at all. I mean, they 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 pretty much you know they had a tight core of fifteen and sixteen players who, who played most of the games, and that maybe has, has changed the thinking a bit. They did get to the Champions League final though with Diego uh, Costa's hamstring in ribbons, and ultimately, <laughs> and looked absolutely well, shattered. Yeah, time, which, yeah. <laughs> I mean that's that's not going to be much use to Chelsea if if that's. Uh, you know, if that's the situation they end up in, going to the Champions League final, absolutely shattered. But I wanted to ask about uh, John Carver. Uh, one of Jose Mourinho's <laughs> favourite men. What what was going on between these guys? I mean, the, every time uh, you saw them on the sideline, they appeared to be exchanging another embrace. Um, and, and afterwards, Mourinho said, oh, this guy, you know, I told him he'll get a five-year contract. Or maybe it was Carver who said Mourinho had told him that. Uh, it was nice. At the end of the game, he said, you deserve the job. You're ready for it now. He said, I hope you get it. He gave me another hug. He must have hugged me ten times today. Yeah, he must have done. I mean, it was right in front of the press box there. And they were pretty much laughing and joking all the way through. And Carver said that after sort of 20 minutes or so, Mourinho had said to him, if you if you'd keep playing like this, you'll get a five-year contract. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> but I mean, there was something, I, I don't know. I mean, um, 
the, 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 so since New Year, there's been two great examples of people in football really having fun. Harry Kane is clearly having a great time playing football at the moment. Yeah. But John Carver's having a great time in, in, in a technical area. Yeah, he just sort of couldn't stop beaming. Every answer he gave in the press conference, big grin on his face. He, he's having a great time. He perhaps realises that, you know, this isn't going to last. Uh, I mean, his, his playing career, I think now, his playing, his playing career in the league extends now to one more game than his managerial career in, in English football. I know he had 40 games in charge of Toronto. Um, but there was um, there, there was a moment kind of quite near the end of the game when the, the ball went out of play just in front of us and Mourinho sort of went to kick it back in, onto the pitch and sort of sliced it. And it, it hit Carver uh, on the backside. And this was like the this was like Del Boy falling through the bar. This was the funniest thing <laughs> I could ever seen. And and the two of them, you know, they laughed for like thirty seconds about it. And all the coaching staff, really for real, was giggling about it. Yeah. Um, but you do you did sort of have this. Uh, I had a drink with John Brewer afterwards, and we were sort of imagining John Carver in a in the strawberry just outside St James's Park in ten years' time, propping up the bar, going. Hey, well, there was this, this time late when, when Mourinho kicked the ball and it, it hit us up the arse late. Oh, it's a lips, man. <laughs> and that would have been the one anecdote he had. <laughs> um, yeah, Rui Faria uh, laughing at it. I mean, he's not a, he's not a funny man. He's not a man, no. Uh, but, you know, I mean, poor old John Carver, it does look as though Remy Gard is going to be the man that, that Newcastle appoints. At least they're they're talking to him and deliberating over, over what to do there. But, you know, even if John Carver doesn't get the job, um, you, you know, looking at Newcastle, they do seem to be actually be in quite good shape. Um, I mean, you've got all these angry fans, but at the same time, you've got a team which has got all these young local players in it. You've got a decent league position. You've got a, a, a nice kind of style of attacking football. You've got financial stability. Mike Ashley is a dream owner. Why does it? Why is everybody so angry about? It? I think it's the way it's presented and in, in the. Um... I mean, yeah, there's a number of things. Yes, I, I think looking at it rationally from the outside, financially he sorted the club out. Um, they're very unlikely to be relegated in the near future. Uh, people like Cabela, you know, shows that um, their policy of mining the French leagues for young talent, Sissoko as well. Yeah, that 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 is clearly an effective policy, and, and I can see the logic then of bringing in a French coach to um, to to oversee them. Um, but I think the issue, I mean, even after the game, Sissoko was saying, yeah, I'll move to a bigger club sooner rather than later. Um, and, and so really, what kind of affection can you have for those players? You know, how how do you develop an emotional one? I think it's actually a, you know, a general problem in football that the throughput of players, this, this swirl of the transfer market is such that every club, every summer brings in, you know, six, seven players in a quiet summer. And, and that that emotional bond with players disappears. You, you, you very rarely. Have, I mean, Newcastle, I guess, an exception because they have got some players who come come through the academy. Um, but you very rarely get a local player coming through, and that's why something like Harry Kane, who I keep mentioning, I, I realise yeah. that's the reason he's so popular at Tottenham. Is he? I mean, I know he was at Arsenal briefly, but he, he's from four miles down the road. You know, he, he could drive there in, in thirteen minutes around the North Circular. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's a there's a and I, and I think what that creates is there's a, there's a natural sympathy there um, and the, the fans want to see local players succeed and therefore they're more forgiving of mistakes and that actually makes it a better environment for those players to play in. But uh, you know, I think if you constantly chop and change, then it's just another mercenary coming in and, well, he hasn't done it in the first four or five games, let's slag him off, get another one in. It seems to be the mentality. But uh, you know, I think it's wider than that in Newcastle. It's, it's the... Um, 
the, the, the sort of total rejection of the idea of, of glory. Well, that, I mean, that's the problem. It is, yeah. The the, the the club policy is very clear that they they will not put out strong teams in the cups. They don't really care about the cups. They clearly don't really care about the Europa League. That they you know, almost rather not be in it, and they're, they're not alone in that. So then, what are you playing for? At least other teams have the pretense that, that there is some kind of glory at the end of the road and yeah you've got to make financial sacrifices on the way and you've, you've got to be prepared that, that players will be moved on if you're a mid-table team but in Newcastle that's actually the overt policy so I think the problem is it's just there on the outside mm. but there's also sort of a classness a classlessness about a lot of it the, the sports select branding all around the stadium and, and yeah, everybody knows about sports select and zero hours contracts they, you know, they're not good employers they're it's, it's a company that's very effective at making money and perhaps doesn't cater for the human side and that's what the club has become as well. The fact Wonga are the shirt sponsors. They're particularly in an impoverished area like the North East. You know, um, payday loan um, companies are a fact of life and they are exploitative and it, it would be a much better world if they didn't exist. Mm. And so for the club to be taking their side, um, I, I can see why, why people are, are offended and outraged by that. Plus, my gosh, these dalliances with Rangers, how committed is he really? So... Yeah, I mean, he has done many things right in terms of getting the club on an even keel. Uh, I think financially he's been as astute as almost any manager, or any any chairman rather. And I guess you look at maybe Swansea and Southampton as, as two other clubs who, who've done that side of things well. But Swansea and Southampton, there, there is a sense of a, of a greater purpose. It's not just there to, to make cash for the for the owner. Just on that sense of uh, the what, what you're talking about in terms of the, the fact that the, this great churn of players through the, through the club, through Newcastle, for instance, and how it uh, makes it difficult maybe for this, or more difficult for the supporters to kind of really take much interest in the players. I mean, who, almost who cares who half these guys are if they're just going to be gone in a year anyway. Um, is this maybe a wider problem that the Premier League has since the, <laughs> and this is probably going to sound silly, but since the retirement of Alex Ferguson, is the Premier League missing a little bit of uh, kind of heft. I mean, I was looking at it recently. Ar- Arsene Wenger is obviously the, by far the longest serving manager now. Uh, and then when you get down beyond him, I think Alan Pardew was the next, and he's obviously left Newcastle now. And maybe you're down to, maybe it's Brendan Rodgers after that. You know what I mean? That that, that sort of uh, churn that you're talking about is something which now, uh, I mean, I was thinking when, when you're talking about Jose Mourinho and John Carver kind of buddying up, uh, maybe Mourinho's doing, you know, what Ferguson used to do, you know, creating a, a table of, a stable rather of tame uh, sidekick managers, you know, who he kind of um, patronises from time to time. They're kind of his allies in the game. But then you think, what would be the point? Mourinho's not even going to be there for, for long enough to, uh, you know, to sort of reap the benefits of any of these alliances. You know what I mean? I wonder, is this, uh, is this a bit of a problem as well, the fact that the managers themselves are in and out of jobs all the time? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I think the lack of patience is, is a major problem. It's interesting that, you know, when Mourinho was talking about the, the conspiracy against him, um, I don't think he was talking about referees. I think he was talking partly about the media, but he was also talking about managers drawing attention to Chelsea's diving. And I, I, the two managers who were in, in the frame there were Allardyce and Steve Bruce, who are exactly part of that Alex Ferguson stable, which I think is an interesting... Mourinho, I think, is very aware that that political block still exists. Um, it still exists, leaderless, or being directed by Ferguson from his armchair. Well, they're still allied. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, uh, I guess Allardyce and Bruce sort of see the game in not dissimilar way, um, and would instinctively be be opposed to to those who used to oppose their their master. 
Um, I, and I, you know, they are two managers who, uh, because of their backgrounds, because of who their master used to be, you know, diving is is a thing that they feel strongly about, perhaps more strongly than, than Mourinho does, uh, despite Mourinho's protestations at various times. So I, 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 I thought I thought it was an interesting thing that Mourinho sort of, um, sort of tangentially drew attention to that, as if he still feels that threat there that there is this sort of this post Fergie block operating against him. I mean, I think it's nonsense, but it, I, I think it's interesting. That's the way his paranoia has, has been directed. Um, but it's like, I mean, Fergie actually drew attention to this. I think it was when when Steve McLaren was in charge of England, uh, and he he talked about. I mean, he drew the very strange comparison, but I think actually quite an apt comparison with with dancing on ice, saying that you know the culture now, the culture of, of social media and reality TV, which obviously have fed off each other, uh, leads to, to a, a society in which there's a belief that you know you, you can um, you know, ring a phone line and vote somebody out of a job, and that that sort of that mentality seems to apply to, to managers as well, um, and I think you know you can see that in. In, in politics as well, I mean, how, how many political leaders lose an election and come back to fight another one? Whereas something like Howard Wilson was, you know, got elected four times because he, he kept coming back because he was the best man for the job at the time. And even though he'd lost, that was still recognised. Whereas, you know, one relegation, you finished, or one season finished inside the top four, you finished. And it, it's, it's a long way. You know, as David Moyes has, has found, he's got a had to, or McLaren found, they had to go abroad to start to rebuild their reputation because clubs in England were, were reluctant to, to take a risk on somebody who's seen as being tainted. Um, and you, know, you look at the great managers of the past and you look at how slow a lot of their starts were. And Herbert Chapman didn't win the league for his fifth season. Uh, Clough at both Derby and Forest finished mid-table in the second flight, first season both times. Don Revy at Leeds, fighting against relegation the first season, took three years to get promoted. Um, you know, Fergie himself. Managers wouldn't get anything like that sort of time now. And... You know, something like Wenger has shown, or maybe even Ronald Koeman was was talking about this this weekend, have shown that you can make an impact quickly, uh, but others seem to need to to strip the club down, start again, and that that process inevitably takes time. And 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 maybe the the tactical gains of that of, of imposing a philosophy on the club from from the, from the roots up, perhaps we don't get that. And there's thus a a lack of tactical progress and a, and a a sort of um, a lack of, of deep tactical thought that people go, you know, go for off-the-shelf, easily understood tactical approaches because they know that they're not going to be there for long enough to impose anything more sophisticated or, or, or radical. Well, it's just an excuse, uh, Ronald Koeman says, I think. Um, yeah, easy to say when it's had the start he's had, but yeah. um, well, I don't think he's saying that at Valencia, was he? We've unfortunately run out of time here, though, Jonathan, so we'd have to say thanks very much for that. Cheers, thank you. Flame hair, flame hair, flame hair, truth, Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Early. Every so often I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to bite someone. John Hayes, I'm talking about, Aaron. Yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. That's where it goes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe. Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now for you give it up. Yeah, interesting point that uh, Jonathan made there, uh, Ken, about uh, resting with the ball. Mm. And when that, when I when I hear that phrase, yeah. the kind of leads. Sunderland, Lee, was it Sunderland that Leeds were beating 7-0 and just started knocking the ball around? Southampton. Southampton, that was it. The red and white stripes, yes. Mm. Uh, 
you know, and we mentioned Jalzi already in this show, but I mean, is that level of resting with the ball, is that basically what we're talking about here? No, I mean, uh, that, resting with the ball. That balls looks like a bit of effort, actually. Is, is one of Mourinho's um, kind of, not buzzwords, buzz phrases. Um, it's something he's always talked about ever since his, his earliest days in management. Um, and he's got something a lot less interesting for the spectators in the stadium yeah. in mind. <laughs> Essentially, um, can you pass the ball around the back without um, without giving it away? Without really, you know, just trying not trying anything. Just basically not just it. just making center sure half, just half. just making sure you're not going to make a mistake and giving everyone a chance to have a bit of a breather in the field. That's literally what he's saying. Mm. It's not. Uh, I'm not entirely sure this that it equates. And Johnson isn't, uh, wasn't sure there either whether it equates to actually, you know, okay, well, we can rest with the ball when we're running, which means we don't have to actually change the team. Mm. I'm not entirely sure that's how it works either. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that when he, the, uh, you know, refuses to change the team, I think it's very much a kind of um, a psychological thing. I think he's trying to create an area of competition for places, which actually is enhanced when you don't change all the time when you don't change people all mm. the time because if you change if you're changing all the time people kind of accept being changed as almost an inevitability yeah. well i'm going to get rotated there's not really much i can do about it i can try really hard and play once or twice uh, a month or i can not try very hard and, and still play once or twice anyway yeah um whereas the way it is like he's got you know a, a, a first yeah, team yeah it's interesting actually yeah he's got a, he's got a first team and and all those guys you know if if you lose your place it's going to be embarrassing for anyone who's who's out like it's humiliating for Gary Cahill you know mm. he's suddenly ooh he's out of the circle of magic now how hard will he have to work to get back in whereas uh Kurt Zuma is obviously going to be delighted um, and maybe thinks that he's a chance of holding on to because Mourinho likes the team to be sort of settled. So um, I think that's what he's trying to do. I mean, the question is whether he'll... I mean, ultimately, you can't... Something is going to get you. You know, either mm. uh, either your players are all going to get tired or because you're changing the team all the time, the, there's no kind of chemistry between them on the field. One way or another, you're going to have a problem. He's obviously decided that the injury problem is the one that he will... The, the injury-slash-fatigue problem is the one that he's prepared to face. Mm. You know, Chelsea's medical staff, he's got every confidence in that department, and hopefully they, you know, with a, with a certain amount of uh, of courage from the players, they'll be able to uh, to get mm. through that if and when it should arise. Uh, right, well, the, probably the big result of the weekend's football in England was Southampton's 1-0 win uh, at Old Trafford against Manchester United. And we're joined now by John Bruin. John, uh, Louis van Gaal said after the game yesterday that we were the dominating team, but uh, it's the story of the Man United season so far, isn't it? They lead the league in possession stats, and yet they're 17th in shots taken and 15th in chances created. This isn't exactly what Louis van Gaal had in mind, is it? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think... The big question about Manchester United this season is when are they finally going to click? And there's only been those brief flushes. Now, they came off an 11-game unbeaten run to lose to Southampton. But during that 11 games, how many matches did they actually play well in and click? Um, Maybe the Newcastle game on Boxing Day. But Newcastle were pretty demoralised as an outfit. I mean, just lost the the, uh, North East derby. So... There haven't been the signs there. Um, there always seems to be some element of jiggery-pokery that uh, Louis van Gaal uh, attempts to put into his team. The thing is, yesterday, and this is perhaps pretty damning, is that's probably the fittest group of players he's had all season. The only absentee was Ashley Young. Yet, 
there were quite a few people lamenting the loss of Ashley Young to that system. Um, some of the stuff that he's done, I mean, he played Di Maria as he, you would play, as he played Aaron Robin during the World Cup. Um, and it, it didn't work because Di Maria is not Aaron Robin. He, he runs better from deep. Um, he's not quite as quick and he's probably a bit more wasteful in possession. Mm. Um, there's, I mean, there's, there's one thing. Michael Carrick last week was talking about how the fact that uh, a lot of people have said that because Manchester United were not in European competition this season, they would find it a bit easier. Um, but he says, actually, the, the players are finding it difficult because they're playing so few games. They've played the fewest of any team in the Premier League. Um, and I think there's something... Van Gaal mentioned this phrase, match rhythm. And I don't think his team have ever found it this season. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is the case that, I mean, Liverpool are obviously the test case for that last year. Although, you know, I mean, there's there's been a lot of teams have played a lot of seasons in the Premier League without having to play in the Champions League. And very few of them have played as well as Liverpool managed to do last season. But the difference, the obvious yeah. difference between uh, them and Manchester United is, is, well, that Manchester United have a much bigger squad. A squad which is equipped... Um, you would have thought, well, maybe not not defensively at the moment, but a squad which is definitely equipped to play um, Champions League and Premier League, as they've been doing for a couple of decades. Um, and the situation that they have now is some big-time players kind of kicking their heels. Uh, Radamel Falcao, for instance, not even involved in the squad for yesterday. Maybe this actually isn't that healthy a situation. No, it's not, and uh, you know the the, the Falc. Yeah, exactly. There's play. There's not enough football for them to play. Mm. So he played. I think Falcao played five matches over the Christmas period, uh, in which he was supposedly going to play himself into fitness. Yet Van Gaal chose to drop him. This was the reasons given. He chose to. He wanted to put Falcao on the bench because Di Maria was back. Well, fair enough, I suppose. But then he said he, he chose James Wilson instead for the pace that he brings yet never brought James Wilson onto the field, which <laughs> is quite interesting. Um, now, I was listening to uh, Tor Christian Carlson, who I think you know Ken, mm -hmm. uh, who was former chief exec uh, of Monaco. Now, he was speaking to ESPN last night, actually, and he was saying that um, Falcao, when he was at Monaco, even before the injury, was not quite the player he was at Atletico. And, of course, we fast-forward... I think it's almost a year to the day, isn't it, since Falcao suffered that cruciate knee ligament injury. And he's just not a player, it would seem, that Van Gaal considers indispensable. Um, so that in itself opens up issues whereby, uh, as we've just discussed before, if Falcao's almost, it seems, a need to buy Falcao to keep David De Gea, um, it's interesting, isn't it? There's some... There's, there's quite a few plot lines opening at Manchester United. As always, if they started winning games, they'd probably get closed off. Um, now, they've not been, results-wise, have been decent. But yesterday's performance against a team like Southampton that you would expect a team... You know, it, it looked like United had third all to themselves. And yet they surrendered it pretty meekly yesterday. Mm. Well, I mean, the you know this is their first defeat since they lost to Manchester City in November, the start of November. But then again, the last five matches they've only won one out of those. I mean, the last five in the league. Um, Falcao actually has has been one of their, I guess, better performers. I mean, when you look at the 
kind of crude outcomes of those matches. He scored in two of them. Nobody else has managed to do that. He ends up being dropped. But I wonder why um, you would use, I mean, you mentioned what, what he did with uh, Angel Di Maria. Uh, and he's trying to maybe trying to do what Iron Robin was doing in the World Cup, but Wayne Rooney was there. I mean, he's being used in midfield, and Angel Di Maria, who we've really only ever seen playing in midfield or on the wing, is is more or less playing up front. So, what do you think is the logic there? I'm not sure. I mean, I think Di Maria play, in the game they won at Arsenal. Di Maria played in that sort of forward position and was pretty successful there. And I think Van Hal saw that as a success and wanted to repeat it. With Rooney, um, it's a question he's asked quite a lot, I think, uh, which is, why why isn't Wayne playing up front? And he says, well, he's more used to me as a midfielder now, but when I think that he'll be used to me as a centre-forward, then I'll play him there, which suggests that he considers Rooney his third-place centre-forward, which is not the type of thing that Wayne Rooney of the past would have accepted. The other thing is that Wayne Rooney is captain, of course, and what that means is a captain is, you know, has to be slightly subservient, sacrificial, be prepared to play in several positions for the for the good of the team, just as Steven Gerrard did at Liverpool. And maybe that's the manage that maybe that's the way that Van Hal has used uh has engineered stuff through the captaincy. I'm not sure. The other problem, of course, is that Van Persie is the first choice centre forward and is in no sort of form whatsoever. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. Now, I mean, Ronald Koeman um, was, uh, I thought, actually a little bit smug after yesterday's win. I, mean, <laughs> I, I suppose, why wouldn't he be? You know, he, he wasn't quite uh, Tim Sherwood. It wasn't quite they were there for the taking, but it was, um, you know, he was he was proud of his players, and rightly so. They've now won four out of five matches. I mean, and it looked as though, you know, they lost four in a row, and, and you thought, well, there goes Southampton. Southampton are going to finish in mid-table. Um, but they've, They've clawed it right back. I mean, gone back into third place, um, unbeaten uh, in three matches against Chelsea, Arsenal and Manchester United. Um, they actually look as though they've got what it takes to, to go and actually finish in the top four now. Yes, they do. And I suppose if we compare it to Manchester United, <clears throat> coherence is what's put them in that position. Uh, I mean, I saw... Manchester City went to Southampton, uh, I think that's at the start, that was at the very end of November, and um, at that point it looked as though Southampton had been found out by a team who were able to press harder than them, had better players, Um, but nobody really has done that to Southampton other than Manchester City in that game. I mean, the other matches they lost, you know, they, I think there's a certain element of tiredness coming, but yeah, it's the only, that's the, the only game. That's the only game they've lost by more than one goal, for instance, all season. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and and the thing is, I think Kuman is uh, he's a coach that I must say I was quite suspicious of when he arrived at uh, in, in Southampton. Not suspicious, of, you know, in, in any nefarious yeah, means, yeah, but yeah. his record is not fantastic as a manager, and he seems to have been fired a bit. Um, yeah. He, he 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 seems to work with Southampton. How long this continues, I don't know. I mean, I'm reminded of teams like Ipswich, who you know looked like they were going to push into the Champions League a few years ago. Bobby Robson's Newcastle, where eventually a long season catches up with them, and they just can't hold on, and maybe they don't have quite the the nous to see it out. But you know, to to, to begin the year uh, by by in third place, their own for the moment. 
that's it's been a great season for Southampton. Whatever happens now, uh, I think a few of them still think that they'll finish back in seventh. But a win at Old Trafford, their first since 1988, fantastic achievement. Yeah, and they did. They look a physically strong team as well. I mean, Tadic is a player who looks as though he could play for uh, really any team in the league. Uh, in the kind of form that he's shown over the first few months. But you mentioned the, the Man City game. One of the players who <clears throat> who punished Southampton that day was Frank Lampard, who uh, the other day uh, was complaining about the lies and nonsense that were being circulated about his um, the precise status of his kind of contractual situation, whether he plays for... New York City, or whether he's meant to, whether he signed something with them, or whether he plays for Manchester City. It appears that a lot of the lies and nonsense were being told by Manchester City. Yes, well, that was exactly what I was going to say. So yeah. This, so this is like, I mean, uh, this is something that Jose Mourinho obviously was complaining about. Oh, there don't seem to be any rules. You know, they can just sign whoever they want. Jose Mourinho was right. He was right, and I think we probably. All, I mean, I certainly thought that you know he's just having his usual conspiratorial uh, suspicions, but. Something something is not right about this deal. I know the Mail on Sunday ran an article yesterday in which they suggested that certain things don't add up with this, I suppose they're a sort of holding company, aren't they, that operates above all the clubs that now are under the Abu Dhabi football conglomerate. I mean, you've got, obviously, Manchester City, New York City, and the team in Melbourne. Melbourne, yeah. Yeah, and it, yeah, I mean, the, the, there are some... It, it, it's a strange one, this, because, I mean, last week uh, we, we, we was, uh, a friend of mine over in the States gave me a call and was asking me about this story. He's a guy who works in New York and was saying that uh, he, he, he'd been on to City about this because, obviously, it has become a bit of a story in, in New York, which, even though soccer is a relatively minor concern, this one interested them because this Frank Lampard guy who'd been on all these posters across the city wouldn't be turning up. Now... I think Manchester City uh, have had to have been not trying to cover the tracks, but they've been caught cold a little by this, because <laughs> he said that the press officer interrupted a skiing holiday to phone him to try and talk him through this particular story. Yeah. Um, there is, yeah, I mean, the, 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 one of the things is that the Premier League actually came out, didn't they, last week, and actually said uh, what you've said, what Manchester City said, oh, it's a six-month deal. Well, that's not possible because there's no such thing as a six-month deal in Premier League football. So they had to admit that he'd actually signed a year deal with Manchester City, uh, which would take him to the end of the season. But there was some kind of break clause in it. And he actually had never signed for New York City. It had been a uh, some sort of... Com- I think that the word... Lampard commitment, was commitment. Which is different, yes. from, different from contract. I mean, commitment could mean anything. Well, absolutely, yeah. Um, and the commitment was, I think, is it not right to say that the commitment was with this company that is above all of Actually Manchester City? Actually owns Manchester City and New York City. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Why would why Emer- would Manchester City why would Manchester City not just be totally upfront about what was going on uh, here in the in the first place? I mean, I don't really. Uh, uh, you know, if they had nothing to hide, if there was nothing, if there was nothing wrong with this deal. I mean, for instance, I, I, I can't imagine that we would have heard the last of this because it's it's plain that Mourinho, for instance, thinks that there's a problem. And you know, if I mean, we could we could end up with the Premier League title being uh, decided in a courtroom, as we've had over here happening uh, once or twice in the past. 
<laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if that, as I say, the the Mail on Sunday report from Nick Harris suggested that, you know, there's things like financial fair play tied in with this, uh, something that City fell foul of last season. Um, yeah, it's murky. It's very murky. Um, the thing is, if you if you read uh, Lampard's interview with Oliver Kay, uh, he suggests that the commitment was there to join New York from uh, January. Then the City deal came up and he decided to go with it. He, I mean, the thing is with Lampard, as we know, he's no fool. He's not a player that would allow himself to be treated, uh, I suppose, in the Roy Keane praise as a piece of meat. You know, he'd be aware of what was going on. Uh, and he says that he had to cancel holidays because to join Manchester City, because Manuel Pellegrini said, well, we can't have you going on holiday. You're going to join our club. I think he considered it alone. It's it's really very. I can't. It, it it still doesn't quite add up, does it? Even though they've tried to reveal as much of it as they want to, if you, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It, it's it's very very strange. I mean, the thing is, Lampard himself said that it wouldn't affect financial fair play because he himself was a player who was free anyway. I mean, the problem is, the thing is, Chelsea released the player, so he was free to go to wherever he wanted to go. Uh, the other thing is that when players have joined or megastars have joined MLS clubs, they've tended to join in the middle of their season anyway. I mean, obviously Beckham did. Uh, even your Rob Robbie Kino did. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, there's... <laughs> it, yet somehow City have fudged this and brought themselves under huge suspicion. Yeah. And it is sad that, that Frank Lover had to... Had to cancel the holiday as well, so it's an unbelievable tale of human suffering. Um, but that's well, absolutely, all we've, yeah. That's all we've got uh, time for uh, with that one, John. Thanks, William, for uh, for talking to us today. Cheers, John's thoughts on uh, captaincy there, Ken, were kind of interesting. In that uh, he was suggesting that because Rooney is captain, that means okay, yeah, you have to be more willing to you know sacrifice yourself for the team, mm. do the right thing by the team. Uh, I would have actually thought the complete opposite. In that, I'm the effing captain, yeah. uh, why don't you play me up front? <laughs> yeah, but you, I suppose, you know what he's saying? Treat I mean, me with it's, some it's goddamn a, respect. The captain is is the sort of manager's first lieutenant, you know. He's got to, uh, Leuven has given him the armband and now Rooney's got to repay him with a bit of uh, loyalty or obedience, you know. Yeah. Um, which makes which makes sense. And, and maybe when you look back, that's why, uh, you know, maybe Van Gaal felt as though He'd, he'd have that from Robin van Persie. Although, you, know, you don't know, you hear about their relationship, maybe it's not as close as you would necessarily think from their from the fact they, you know, work together with Holland. Um, but with Rooney, when he gave him the armband, it was a way of saying, okay, you're obviously a big player at this club, well, you're going to be on my side mm. uh, and sort of take it from there. But, you know, I, 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 I do think that if Rooney is playing um, in midfield and not playing well... Um, and there's guy, you know, Di Maria is playing up front, or Falcao is playing up front, or Van Persie is playing up front. And none of them are playing particularly well. Then Rooney is going to be saying to Van Gaal, "Well, listen, you are aware that I'm actually a forward. That's what I am. Just by the way, you know, I can't imagine that Rooney is going to be causing problems in public. Um, what with the armband, what with the big contract? He, I just, I don't really think that would be wise for him to do that. I think yeah. the reaction to that would be bad. But certainly, I can imagine him saying uh, in private, "Look, this is." Uh, I really think I would be more effective in that position. That's, you know, if, if things aren't going well, though, to be fair, things have been going uh, okay uh, over the, you know, it hasn't re really reached that point where I imagine he'd be going to Van Gaal and, and complaining. 
Yeah, okay, well, that's pretty much it. You can follow us on Twitter at Second Captains. We're on Facebook, facebook.com second, uh, forward slash Second Captains. And you can email us at secondcaptains at uh, irishtimes.com or check out the website, which is secondcaptains.com. So we'll have another show coming out very shortly, looking ahead to the next round of the European Rugby Champions Cup. But in the meantime, Ken, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll chat to you soon. Bye-bye. It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 